Welcome to the Petro Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Trisha Curtis, CEO of Petro Nerds. This show combines upstream and midstream expertise in a Rocky Mountain showdown. to the Petros podcast. This is episode 76. This is part two of my conversation with John Grogan. I interned for John Grogan in UK Parliament in 2007. Um, it's a great blast from the past conversation and a really good dive in terms of what's going on in, in the UK, what's going on with energy security, um, what's going on with UK grid. And in this part two of this conversation, we talk about the war in Ukraine. Um, we, we get into China, Germany, Russia, the relationship, um, his vantage point, it is a little more political, um, and it, it's interesting. And I do clarify um, at the end of this that I'm not trying to be um, – I, I, we have a, a relatively provocative conversation on the harder stuff that people don't have, which is something like war fatigue um, and the fact that this war costs money and that we have to talk about ammunition support and where the money is coming from. Um, and we also have to talk about national security and grid stability and everything like that. So if you haven't listened to if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, which is part one with John Grogan, that's episode 75. Please take a listen. This one will make a lot more sense. That being said, I will keep the timestamp. This is Monday, March 13, 2023. Um, the, the big things that have happened in the world are that are still going on is the SVB um, fallout, which is the Silicon um, Silicon Valley Bank, um, where the Fed has come in and the Fed has come in and basically uh, backstopped it and said they are not only doing the FDIC imp deposits, insuring those for $250,000 or insuring all the deposits. So basically depositors are able to get the money. And then they weave in further and said, basically they're covering everybody's deposits, but quote, this wasn't a bailout. So that has uh, taken up headlines. We talked about that in last week's podcast. Um, we um that's the biggest thing happening right now it has put some pressure on oil prices we have seen brent and wti both come down under 82 bucks for brent under 76 bucks for wti and um you know we talked about this in the previous podcast and and i realized that talking about this uh the svp it does sound a lot and has a lot of hallmarks of the financial crisis in 2008 and i know a lot of folks don't say this is different, that the banks are more secure and everything. But I think it's really, really important to appreciate um, that this is just beginning. And so we're just in the initial stages of this. And that, you know, just days ago and weeks ago, people said that this couldn't happen in the financial system because the banks were so secure and we had all these stress tests. And clearly that wasn't the case. So anyways, with that being said, um, really hope you guys enjoy this the rest of this conversation with John Grogan and talk to you soon. Bye. One of the biggest... Th winners from all of this has this war has been China. Um, and that is because Europe has purchased, um, there's an 86% increase in solar purchases from China to Europe over the course of 2022 in just the first nine or 10 months of 2022, which is kind of, you know, it's amazing because, you know, Europe is supposed to be a bastion of democracy and of human rights. And it's really sad because not only are you outsourcing the CO2 emissions that everybody claims they want to get rid of um, and it's just playing whack-a-mole um, and buying it from China, but these solar panels come from the province of Xinjiang. They do come from forced labor. They do come from um, free to forced labor. They, there are internment camps in the province of Xinjiang. There are all kinds of human rights issues within China and they are produced from coal. And so the life cycle emissions aren't even being you know accounted for. Um, and I just find it a little, you know, it, 
this is a kind of a separate angle on the energy side, but it definitely gets into the energy security side a little bit as well. And the fact that Europe seems just very okay with buying windmills and solar panels from, you know, China and sort of trying to worry about, you know, that stuff later. And yet, you know, they look to the U.S. and say, hey, we want to measure your emissions on your gas um, now that we're importing your natural gas. Um, and it just seems a little bit counterintuitive to actually having stability uh, for energy. Well, I, I suppose uh, that's a very, a very good critique uh, of uh, European government's decisions over the winter. But I suppose the counter would be, and I which just touch on the war, really. I, I, I mean, uh, European governments have been under tremendous pressure. Uh, you know, six months ago, would they be able to keep the lights on? Uh, right. They were desperately stockpiling gas uh, and trying to you know, warn their citizens and their industries that we might not get through this winter without massive cuts. Trying to keep an alliance together, is it a good thing to, that, the, that you've got this remarkable alliance? And, I, you know, from my point of view, thank God for Uncle Joe, because, you know, if Uncle Joe hadn't been there, I cannot see, and I was at a conference in Poland uh, near the Belarus border the other, uh, just last week, and talking to the Poles and the Ukrainians there, I just cannot see that the world would have responded in the same way. And once that decision is made that we are going to defend the democracy and the integrity of Ukraine, there's massive costs for that. And uh, uh, those costs are being felt by consumers, uh, obviously they're being mainly felt by the, the poor Ukrainian uh, people and their uh, brave soldiers, but it is, the impact is in Europe. There's relatively strong support for the war in the UK. It is more nuanced the, uh, in places like Germany and so on and things. So uh, the politicians there have had quite a task to uh, maintain support for this alliance, which is the most significant alliance, uh, certainly for Europe and, and the States since the Second World War. Uh, and keeping that together has not been easy. And obviously, um, Putin is waiting for the day when it falls apart. And if he can keep going to the next American presidential elections, there's only one person he wants to win. And uh, uh, so there's that. So the, you know, there are moral compromises, uh, uh, and lots of them have been, been made, I think. But uh, given the centrality of that goal, as for China uh, generally and, and British and European attitudes to China, they have, uh, I think Europe is very well aware of the, uh, uh, of the moral shortcomings of the Chinese government. And uh, there is, uh, we're, we're, um, uh, there's a lot of debate now about um, uh, the implications of uh, Chinese investment into British and European uh, security. We're not quite turning off TikTok yet, but you know that debate has got here as well. Right. Uh, I, I'm certainly not on TikTok. Uh, yeah, I don't want to, you know, uh, um, uh, obviously run one removed from the Chinese Communist Party. So those sorts of things are happening, and also a, a, a fear of what might happen in Taiwan. And uh, 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 if anything, the uh, the actions of Russia have uh, woken up a lot of people to, you know, what if China goes down a similar path? And we've just seen a, a, a Congress meeting in uh, China, which has uh, centralized power even more. So there is no challenge now right. um, to the president. And so, yeah, there, there is fear of China here. And obviously, 
um, Germany very much invested in um, trade with China and Britain to uh, to a lesser extent. But the, the, there's always going to be those dilemmas. We're not we're not saying we're going to break off trade with China, but in sensitive areas, um, I think we need controls and we need constantly to raise issues of human rights. And obviously, in the UK. We feel a special responsibility because of the historic links with Hong Kong. Absolutely. And that's something that I think is completely, it's very unique for, for the UK. It also is sort of a, um, it, there's a tie, right? So it's the Hong Kong tie. And I have, um, you know, and I, I, I respect that. But I also, because of that tie and that historical relationship, it also puts you in a predicament of how close you've been with China historically and how China has sort of bamboozled everyone, you know, over the last 30 years and thinking they're, you know, actually reforming and, and democratizing when they're not. Um, and that, you know, now Hong Kong has been taken over. Um, I know you guys have taken a lot of um, you guys have taken a lot of folks from Hong Kong into your country, but it's interesting. So I, you explain really well, you know, you know, how the. Uncle Joe um, supporting the war where, where Europe is sort of at. But I that that there does seem to be a clear rift between the UK and Germany on, you know, something as big as if you, you know, Germany obviously allowed Europe um, the massive exposure that they had to Russia. Um, and Russia is not an economic superpower. They should not have been able to wage this war. And one of the major reasons they were able to wage this war was because of the stranglehold for energy that they had. Um, and the fact that because their economy isn't so, you know, it's, it's not super robust, it's also relatively resilient. So even with all the sanctions and everything on Russia, it's actually performed pretty well because Europe continued to buy natural gas, like you were saying, that, you know, stockpiling as much as they possibly could when it was still flowing. And, but then now you have the Chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz, doubling, seeming to double down on with with China, which seems like you're kind of going, it's going in the opposite direction and maybe on the wrong side of history here, because Olaf Scholz took 12 CEOs over to China. Um, you know, China's been very cozy with Russia on this whole, uh, on everything, you know, uh, financial ties are, have, you know, continued to grow grow over the course of the war. Um, but and, and then there was also a lot of political opposition within Germany when Olaf Scholz sold part of the Hamburg port to the Chinese. Um, but that kind of went under the radar as well. And it just seems that that might be something where, especially with the UK being a little more of an independent mind, that this does not seem the best track to go on. And this is both a, you know, not just an energy secure, you know, this is a kind of, this is a security issue and something for, that has to be dealt with that, you know, clearly Russia will, Europe up to the reality that even if you wanted the natural gas, you may not be able to get it, um, despite all the grievances you may have with Russia. And just like all the stuff that you may want from China, you may not be able to get it if there is a war with Taiwan, if there's stuff that's going on. And so that decoupling conversation and where countries are at, it seems like there could be rifts within within Europe, particularly between the UK and other countries on this China issue. Uh, there, there could be. Um... I mean, I think now there's uh, um, a willingness in, in the British government to, uh, or a desire to have slightly closer links now with Europe and to talk these things through. It, it was very awkward after Brexit under um, right. uh, Mr. Mr. Johnson, Liz Trust. There's just been a deal done, a uh, fairly parochial issue, but nevertheless important on, on Northern Ireland, uh, which I think will lease relations with Britain and Europe. And I suppose from the point of view of the alliance, I mean, you're, you're right, uh, Slots uh, is courting China economically and, and trying to perhaps strip some of the emphasis 
from Russia. I mean, I, in a way, and I mean, you've got to have some uh, dialogue with China because uh, you, you know, and Charles has had that. And I would hope that one of the constraints on Russia, on Putin, on, for example, the use of nuclear weapons and so on, and things, and uh, on other areas where they might go over the line, is is the influence of China and India. Uh, we haven't discussed India at all yet, but you know that they are certainly not uh, with the West in terms of the alliance right. against Russia, but they are a constraint, perhaps the only constraint on how far Putin will go. And so it is, again, it's real politic uh, and um, and so on, but I, I'm glad that there's some part of the alliance uh, talking to China uh, because you need to keep that open at the moment because, as I say, the, and hopefully, you know, again, um, what is this, what is the, um, what is going to stop China invading Taiwan? And I think, you know, the, one of the, and the, all, the, all the economic turmoil that you listed there that would come from that, uh, one of the things would be the success of the alliance in Ukraine, because obviously that emphasizes the price that can be paid um, for these um, uh, immoral uh, invasions and, and military inventions and so on, I think. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's not simple. Um, but, uh, and I, yeah. I, I think next winter, um, Europe will have largely decoupled from uh, Russian gas. Now, obviously, that will mean they'll, they'll try and sell it to China in greater... Uh, uh, in well, they are. Greater volume. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they are, yeah. And, 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 and I mean, China's been doing well out of it, isn't it? Because they're getting a good right. price for it. Uh, they're not paying a premium price. Um, but um, there we are. Yeah, I, I, one of the other things I do in my life is I chair the British Mongolian mm-hmm. uh, Chamber of Commerce. So Mongolia, if I may just say a little word about Mongolia, Absolutely. it's slightly relevant to our debates. So that's in the, uh, that's obviously in the middle of China and Russia. Uh, and it is the most democratic country. Uh, from Japan to the Balkans, really, much more democratic than the stands. Power rotates, there's freedom of the press. There is some corruption, but uh, uh, it's a pretty safe country. You you don't have, prominent business people don't have to have lots of bodyguards or anything. It's, uh, and, and it supplies, uh, it's supplying coal into China uh, and uh, diminishing, uh, they realise it's a diminishing asset, uh, but also copper, uh, and they've got, uh, uh, Rio Tinto's got, I think, the third biggest copper mine in the world, which is developing, and they've also got lots of rare earths, uh, uranium, so they are going to be, uh, if they can get it right, and they, they, they want to be more like Norway than Nigeria, um, and they're setting up their own sovereign wealth fund and things, but if they get it right, they can be uh, quite an important influence, I think, in Asia, but they, they constantly have to uh, um, uh, play off China and Russia, and uh, if anyone understands real politics, it's the Mongolians um, who uh, trying to carve out a democracy in that part of the world is not easy. Right. No. No. And they're in the mix of it. Um, you know, I I try to sometimes I think you know listeners and folks like yourselves, I, I'm not trying to paint things as simple, but I the there's two things that I don't think ever get 
uh, identified and clarified. And I, d I don't hear on, on media outlets or anybody from, from UK or Europe or um, it is a, is a real, a, a real conversation on China. I and mean, there's a, there's, there's yeah. beginning dialogues on it, but the hard stuff that we're talking about now doesn't happen. And the hard stuff on energy doesn't happen either. And they're, they're quite interrelated. I, I do want to yeah. loop back to, um, to the war issue because you said, you know, thanks to uncle Joe, um, and, and, you know, that Putin only wants one person in office. And I think that's an interesting, you know, a couple comments, because I, I do think that war fatigue is something that um, I know that there's a lot of support and Boris Johnson did a good job in, in raising UK support. Um, and, you know, I think all across the US, there's been a lot of support for, for the folks in Ukraine. That's, that's a given across the aisle. But war fatigue is a real thing. And the US has put over $46 billion into the war. And, the countries in Europe, including the UK, have put a handful of billions of dollars into the war. Um, so we have funded it. And, you know, that th there's criticism of that as well. But, you know, we have, you know, helped fund this. And the problem is, is that um, the reconstruction efforts for when they when and hopefully they happen or I think Ukraine has put a seven hundred billion dollar price tag on that for reconstruction, but it's, it's ammunition support. And that, you know, this is again, the hard conversation. No one talked about war in before. No one talked about ammunitions, by the way, you have to build this stuff with, uh, you have to, with energy, it's probably not going to come from wind and solar power to make bullets and weapons and hard machinery. That's why China's in a really good place. That's why Russia is actually increasing their electricity capacity generation. Their ability to build this stuff is more resilient than the West. And I think that's a, Kind of a scary thing to think about is that you know if the U.S. is funding this with 46 billion and continuing to pay. There's a risk of war fatigue in terms of just economies deteriorating, but also in Europe, the fact that the money and you guys have smaller economies, so I'm not I'm not you know uh, doing like for like there, but Europe hasn't put the money in even though it's on the doorstep, and Europe also hasn't put the weapon financing and the fact that we're all putting all these ammunitions and these weapons to it, they will have to be rebuilt. And so more uh, will have to be manufactured. And that's a really, really serious thing. Even if the war was to end, you'd have to do that because that in itself is a deterrence, um, just like it would have been a deterrence for Putin not to invade Ukraine if Europe had supplied their own, you know, instead of being exposed on 35 BCFA gas imports, you know, that that would have been a deterrent. But Europe didn't do that. And I think weapons and ammunition and you know, the military side, which is very tricky with Germany and this whole debate, but it just seems like that war fatigue and the rebuilding of this stuff and making sure they have enough ammunition support does seem very, very critical. And I, I don't hear that being talked about a ton on the UK or European space, in the Euro UK European space. I, I think people are acutely conscious uh, of, uh, of war fatigue and, uh, and this may take uh, quite a long while. You, you're obviously right on uh, the numbers and that's why i say uncle joe is so important really this would have been impossible without uh the u.s administration backing it germany although you know we've been talking about their uh, critique on china and so on and things they're the next biggest uh, uh donor uh, uh across the board in military and uh, uh economic support and i think the uk uh comes third right um uh so you, you, you know not insignificant and then countries like poland poorer countries where i was you know they have uh a large proportion i think at one point they had uh, over a couple of million uh, uh ukrainians actually in the country uh and uh, some passing through then i think it was nearly three million some of them passing through to uh places like britain and germany so they, there's been considerable 
impacts and people have made uh, considerable sacrifices and so on and things. And but we've got to keep it going. And you know, in some of these countries, it, it's uh, it, it's quite marginal the the level of support. In most of the countries, there's there's still willingness to do that. But the Ukrainians, who incidentally, have, I think, got a most, and if they can get peace, they'll have a you've you, they'll have a brilliant economic future because you've just seen the entrepreneurial right. attitude of the, of the young really and their, their government communications are just fantastic uh, you, you know they the way from day one they were uh spinning their story out to the world as i think helped keep up the support yep and uh, uh when zelensky was in in london he was certainly pretty good at that uh so yeah, but I, it is. You're right to say it has been across the aisle, and it has been across the aisle here in the UK. There is, you know, there is opposition Labour Party. There is uh, are, are as uh, vociferous as, as the Conservatives and so on. And so, whatever happens in in Britain um, in terms of elections, it won't affect uh, the strength of support for the alliance. Um, Italy's changed government, and yet it's still. Uh, maintaining support so i think in most european countries Putin's obviously trying to uh, find a wedge to start dividing us but it, 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 it does boil back to the centrality of the american elections next year and you do hear voices even though i accept it's across the aisle you do hear uh some of the perhaps of the newer members uh in the house who are republicans perhaps you know you're not that that fatigue has already sat in has set in so when i was in poland there was People on the, and in Poland now is ruled by a right of centre conservative government, uh, many of whose members uh, uh, sympathise with the domestic agenda of President Trump, and you know they, they some of them regarded him as a hero. But when pressed, do they want him to come back next year? Uh, and what with the impact on the Polish war with Ukraine, when he's saying that he's going to end the war in a day? Well, I don't think he's, he's going to end it in a day because Putin's going to say, uh, "Well, that's it then. I'll withdraw to the borders." And so, you know, there, there will be a lot of support for if, if he is the candidate uh, in, in the States. Uh, even in the European right, there will be a lot of support for whoever his opponent is, whether it's Biden or anybody else, because of the war. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the, I'll push back on that a little, mainly because yeah. um, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I don't, enjoy getting into the political debates um, in the U.S. And frankly, I'm happy to, to criticize both parties. However, um, the, you know, the economic resiliency we had in the previous administration was a hell of a lot better than we have under this current one. Um, and, you know, fiscal spending has been kind of through the roof. The reason I bring up something like war fatigue is and spending um, is because it's a hard topic. And I'm not... I. I'm, I spend a lot of time, you know, giving presentations and talking about geopolitics and everything and, and literally was just at the Colorado School of Mines and had students asking me, like, why do you why do countries support wars that they're not in? You know, there's really important reasons to do so. Um, I, I think that um, absolutely. I mean, I think we have bipartisan support across the board in Europe, um, in the U.S. on supporting the Ukrainians, 100%. Um, there's a deeper question, though, in terms of, uh, I don't think there's a reason that um, Poland would say they, I mean, Trump or whoever on, on the right, I mean, they're mainly some folks on the right in the U.S. are, are more pro-energy or pro-coal, you know, and probably supportive of that. Um, I do think it's unfair to say that, uh, you know, we, that, 
if it was a Republican in charge that uh, we wouldn't have had as much support for Ukraine. I, I don't think that's necessarily correct or that they would have been friendly um, with, with Putin. So I don't think that's correct. I do think um, it's been a little bit, every, you know, everything's been thrown into, um, into this war. Everything's been thrown, I guess, into Putin being the greatest evil. And he is a, Russia is very bad. Uh, Putin is not a good person. And this is a very, very bad war. This is an ongoing war. Most people didn't think it was going to happen. The troops were lined up. I mean, this was going to happen. And then most people in Europe and elsewhere thought this was going to end pretty quickly. It hasn't. It's continued to go on. And it looks like more of a pawn move in a much larger game. And I think that that's where I just think that the reality check of, you know, if China gets engaged in this or the fact that China has been funding this war um, and that Europe doesn't have a, you know, there's Europe and lots of folks within the U.S. that don't have an honest appreciation for sort of the role of China within this and that it gets complex and hairy and we have lots of massive trade ties um, with China um, and particularly, I mean, Europe has huge trade ties, especially on the energy front. And then when we start talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, um, I, I mean, I was listening to the Davos summit and Ursula von der Leyen was talking about, you know, the how wanted, you know, Europe to be the clean tech hub, but that Europe was nearly like 90 per, 99% completely reliant on China for that, um, but didn't want to be completely reliant on China. And then you had China get up saying how clean they were um, when they're not clean, then they have mostly coal within their grid. Um, and that's because that's for energy security. So, and then you have in the US where now you have real conversations in Europe with a lot of concerns about the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which I'm not quite sure they should be as concerned because it seems like in the U.S. what's going to happen with this Inflation Reduction Act is that we're going to spend a lot of money um, on things. I mean, we can't, Europe and the U.S. is not going to mine or process the minerals and metals to make the batteries that are all made in China um, because we don't have, we have environmental standards and we won't process these in our own countries. We don't even have the capacity. So that's all going to be done in China. So what we're going to do is we're going to buy all the batteries and we're just going to build up really expensive charging stations. And that's probably where the money is going to get spent. And then you have to have a grid that supports that. So it seems like a lot of money could be spent and that politics, depending on a change of elections, could shift that. Um, and so that that could be messy. And it seems I, I'm wondering if um, one, I would love to welcome your comments on, on what I was saying about Ukraine and China, um, but also do you think that um, the IR, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, that's how it could play out as well? And that maybe, you know, Europe doesn't have as much to worry about because there's just going to be a lot of spending in the U.S. and not necessarily hugely impactful, especially if there's a change in administration. Um, I think a lot of spending will be in the, uh, in the States. Um, I think it has an impact on uh, internationally mobile companies and internationally mobile talent. Uh, is the states the place to be now if you uh, want to invest or work uh, in renewable tech and so on and things? And so that's uh, there's, uh, there's a debate in Britain and Europe that we better do something similar, otherwise we're going to lose out uh, on a lot of the investment and uh, uh, a lot of the skills and the talent uh, to the states. So I think uh, there's, there's that impact. And back to the war um, and Ukraine and, and, and China, yeah, yeah, as we were talking about, China is obviously an actor there, is um, getting some economic benefit from the war, but we just have to hope, and that, you know, there's talk of an alliance of authoritarian governments and things throughout the world, we have to try and 
divide them as best we can, uh, China and Russia, and we also, I think, have to win, because <laughs> if we lose, uh, uh, it's, uh, what signal does that give? I mean, uh, you know, that's going to be, uh, the repercussions for that are, um, uh, are unimaginable, really, uh, and, uh, and what that does for the uh, psyche of America and, West and Europe as well. So I think having got this far, uh, we absolutely uh, are, have to be on the winning side in this war, and that means that uh, Ukrainian democracy and the Ukrainian nation, which uh, President Putin wants to wipe off the face of the map, right. uh, are still around. Uh, for you know that uh, we have to we, we have to win. I'm going to have to leave it at that point, unfortunately. And we can do a, a round if you like, but I, I'm, uh, we, we've done hour and a quarter we, we absolutely we've done a full hour on this you've been on a little longer because yeah. we had some some technical issues but no this yeah. has been a fantastic did, conversation absolutely appreciate yeah, it yeah. and i will have you back on the podcast when we have a you know we can do the a proper video and everything and we can chat again so thank you very much john um and when yeah, are you yeah, yeah. Wh when are you running uh what when is your election so yeah yeah so uh for background so it's the uh election will probably be because uh, the five-year term which is up in december 2025 but now we have a system where the prime minister can basically go to the king and call an election so it's very much of the government's choosing so probably uh either may next year or june or probably latest october next year yeah but okay the likelihood is i'll i'll be an mp again because even if uh, as you remember it's a constituency system and uh keithley where i'm standing is 23rd of the most marginal seats so there wouldn't even have to be a change of government and this seat would fall uh, on any swing really on any swing so and there is likely the opinion polls at the moment uh, you know give labor a 20 percent lead i think that will tighten but if they had any lead at all keithley would fall so okay well i i yeah. um i appreciate that clarification and um well, when you when you win, I'll have to come in and help brief you guys you on will. energy and, and geopolitics you, you, you and everything. You will. And have dinner with James. We'll have to get absolutely, to absolutely. Well, yes, yeah, James he's, Williamson. He's, 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 his kids will be in school then, so you'll have less excuses. All right, fantastic. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, John. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, thank All right. you. Bye bye. All right, that was my conversation uh, with John Grogan, the uh, former member of parliament for the Selby constituency who is also running again. So I am just going to clarify, I'm just going to clarify the listeners on a couple things because this podcast is going to be broken into two parts. So I'm going to clarify that, uh, that I, you know, I very much support um, the war in Ukraine um, in terms of uh, supporting democracy and um, explaining that, you know, Putin is a very, very bad actor and that we do have an assemblance of alliance of this sort of a, a bit of a decoupling around the world where you're seeing entities like, you know, China just this weekend talked about um, actually orchestrated a meeting with Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, and so, you know, Saudi Arabia or, or China gets most of their crude oil imports from Saudi Arabia, from Russia and from Iran. Um, and so we are seeing, you know, these potential, you know, these entities that are working together. And China has done a really good job of working with these actors that the rest of the world doesn't tend to want to necessarily work with as closely. But the reality is, is that what, what happens is that when you have this, this war in Ukraine put on by Putin, then you end up having a, you have Europe pushing themselves into the Middle East. And so you have tighter and close relations with, um, you know, with Europe and say the UAE. And now you have the UAE facing some um, secondary sanctions with support to the war in Ukraine. So it gets very complicated. The Middle East is not a, um, it, there's nothing 
uncomplicated about the Middle East. There's nothing uncomplicated about energy. There's nothing uncomplicated about war. And the ties and the interconnection in this global economy are extremely, extremely serious. So the reason I bring up war fatigue and the reason is not to criticize uh, funding that goes into the war is it is to the, the top. It's similar to say, well, the energy transition is going to happen and we're all just going to give nine trillion a year and it's just going to happen. It's, it's not. That, that is not going to happen. And as economies are in pain, global economies are in pain, if, if, the, you know, if we have a bad winter this coming winter in Europe and it's colder or we have a very, very hot summer and we're drawing down on you know, natural gas and natural gas prices spike or, or, and we're drawing down on the storage levels within Europe, we could see some real problems within um, the energy system and we could see some real problems within the economies and we could see some I wouldn't say pushback on support for the war in Ukraine, but the ability to actually pay for it. And so what I'm saying is the, the longer these things get drawn out and the economic pain and the lack of resiliency and redundancies built in the system, especially for energy, the harder it is to maintain the support. So I think it's really important that countries have these conversations about economic stability, energy stability, energy security, national security, and grid stability um, so that they can actually develop these weapons and these ammunitions and support this. The you don't have to, it's sort of like when I explain to folks that having coal um, in your back pocket, you don't have to use it, but it's a nice backup for energy security. And and as John Grogan mentioned that, um, you know, they had to turn coal fire power on on recently for, for backup, and that's how they're using natural gas. So these are really important conversations to be had. They are not necessarily easy conversations and they can get uncomfortable, um, but I really hope you guys um, enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon, folks. Bye.